The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon. Yes, really. This is the podcast where we talk about TV shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And it's good to be back. Yeah. After a, a rather unexpected absence. Uh, yeah. Whenever we do these theme months, we screw it up. It's cursed. <laughs> Have we ever, aside from Halloween, we sometimes get Halloween right. Uh-huh. And we sometimes get uh, uh, Suddenly Last Season. Where yeah. we do TV shows that lasted the month before. Sometimes we get it right, but every other time we try to do a theme month, they always end up like one week into the next month, or in this case, three. Um, Look, we uh, <laughs> things so got things got in the way. Uh, yeah. uh, the the wonderful M. Lapis da Silva was joining us for the anime mm-hmm. episodes because she knows a lot more about anime than you or I. True. And, and sadly, uh, she's not here for this episode. And yeah, scrambling to get all three of our schedules uh, kind of in sync was a, a pain in the neck. And then one of us uh, very invariably would be delayed. So mm. yeah, uh, three weeks later, we're finally back with the final final week in anime month. Anime month and two thirds. <laughs> um, in short. Obviously, Whitney and I haven't gone anywhere, but um, we've had some issues behind the scenes, personal stuff, nothing we're going to get into. Uh, But it just meant that we weren't able to produce quite as many podcasts as we were before, and this was one of the ones that sadly had to take a backseat. Michelle is still uh, hard at work on uh, her novel is coming out at the end of October. Uh, We'll be promoting that later on, and I think the plan is to do a giveaway. Uh, It's very exciting, and some reviews are already in, and they're glowing. So uh, if you go to Amazon.com right now, you can pre-order it. Uh, It's by M. Lapis da Silva, and uh, it is called Hooker, and it is a feminist, pro-queer, pro-sex work, uh, slasher-slash-action vigilante novel about a sex worker who uses hooks as weapons and does battle with a misogynistic serial killer. I happen to think it's really cool, but of course, I'm, uh, I, I do have a connection with them. I'm, I'm guessing the author has seen the movie Vice Squad. We with watched Wings Vice Hauser. Squad. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, there was some research uh, uh, done, and Vice Squad was definitely hmm. one of the things that we watched. Um, maybe we can talk about that. We'll have her hmm. on. Uh, we'll have uh, Michelle on the show, one of our shows later, to talk about her novel and yeah, go into like... depth. But um, in any case, we need to get back on track with Cancel Too Soon. Here we are. The last show that we wanted to highlight in Anime Month, which is, again, a month with a bunch of kinda canceled too soon shows because it's kind of hard to determine what only had one season, what was only intended to have one season, what got canceled, because anime and television works differently in Japan than TV and cartoons do in America. Yeah, what constitutes a season is amorphous. However, this one is generally considered to have been properly Cancelled. It is an incredibly ambitious sci-fi fantasy gangster series, which if I were to try to sum it up in some words, it would be 
Highlander meets the Untouchables, but through the storytelling style of Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, this is Bacchano. Bacano is an Italian word that means, like, mayhem or, or a big ruckus. Yeah. And boy, howdy, this thing's a ruckus. Now, you are, <laughs> you, William, are definitely going to have to take point on this because I finished this, like, two weeks ago. Ah, yes. And I couldn't follow it then. <laughs> and now it's been two weeks and I've forgotten details. Okay. So, uh, generally, broadly speaking. Yeah. First of all, it's told all jumbled up out of chronological order. Yes. Uh, this series takes place over the course of three years. I think it's 29, 30, and 31. Uh, around there, um, yeah. Sometimes, but, sometimes a little bit further, sometimes yeah, a little bit further back. There's one episode yeah. that takes place in, in like, like the 1800s. Yeah, 1780s yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, it takes place generally over this three-year span, but of course all out of order, uh, following about 500 different characters, <laughs> uh, which, with all, which all have really fun names like Jacuzzi Splot and... Uh, yeah. Nice Holly, wait, is it Nice Hollywood? Holly, no. Holly Ridge, something Holly, like that. There's, nice. there's a bunch of different characters with a lot of fun Dickin, Dickensian names. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all revolves around the departure and a trip. Nice Holly Stone. Nice Holly Stone. Yeah. Uh, it, and it all revolves around the departure of a train called the Pussyfoot. The Flying Pussyfoot. The, excuse me, the Flying Pussyfoot. And uh, the Flying Pussyfoot is, yeah, this uh, big... Uh, Orient Express type train where all all of the action is going to take place. But we see a lot of flashbacks as to who the characters are, how they came to be on the Flying Pussyfoot and what they're doing there. Yeah. Uh, We're introduced to uh, thieves, gangsters, and a gang of immortals who have discovered uh, an immortality elixir like centuries before. Mm Mm-hmm. And they can't be killed, so a lot of violence happens to these characters. Yes. So there's... A few characters who are, like, sort of broad and funny. There's a pair of thieves that reminded me a lot of Team Rocket from Pokemon. If Team Rocket from Pokemon were the charming heroes, mm. that is uh, uh, Isaac Dean and Mia, uh, Miria Harvind, uh, who are easily my two favorite characters on this whole well, show. They're, they're the comic relief characters, really. And and boy, do we need them. Yeah. Because every other storyline in this series, a series which I mostly like, I was a big fan when it came out. Revisiting it, there are definite flaws here, but there's a lot of stuff I really like about Bacchanel. And right at the forefront is the creators of Bacchanel. And let's let's uh, do some, uh, uh, some vital stats. Here, vital right? stats here. I think it's important. Um, so uh, the series was written by Ryoga Narita mm. uh, and illustrated in the light novels by Katsumi Inami and in the manga by Ginyu Shijin. Uh, the anime series was directed by Takahiro Omori, and it lasted 16 episodes from July 26th, 2007, through November 1st, 2007. It's a one-season show. That's how we do. 16 episodes. Um, and it's very complicated, and you're absolutely right. There's a framing device in the first episode that gets dropped immediately, except for the last scene in the series, where there is actually a, a sort of a... There is a newspaper called The Daily Days, and this newspaper isn't just a newspaper. They are, they are information gatherers. This is their job. 
They aren't just putting out the news, they're accumulating every piece of information that one could possibly accumulate about everything. And as a result, a lot of the characters in the story Mm. end up going to this newspaper when they don't know what to do next in the plot. (laughs) And they will exchange information for information that they don't have yet, sometimes which will be about new criminal dealings, and of course no one wants to do that. And I really like that subplot. You could do a whole series based around that. They did not. It's Mm. one of like 12 series that are fighting for attention in this um but the chairman of that newspaper is talking to his new apprentice and they are trying to investigate not only the events that took place on the flying pussyfoot which is where all of these storylines suddenly and chaotically and very murderously converged Mm. but they're also trying to determine where did this story begin and where does it end And because it involves so many different characters, some of whom are hundreds of years old, that's a big ask. And so it's as though the entire story is being told by someone who maybe doesn't have a clear linear through line. There's literally a scene Mm. where the apprentice says, I know, it's this guy, Firo, he's the protagonist. And the chairman says, why is he the protagonist? He looks like one. (laughs) But uh, the idea is they don't actually know where the story begins and where it ends. And so they're just sort of pulling information from wherever they can. And uh, that's kind of compelling, but one can also imagine it being like really frustrating to follow this series if it was on a weekly basis. It's sort of like the anime rendition of Proust. Have you ever read any volumes I'm familiar with Proust. Uh, I've never actually sat down and uh, read a whole Proust. Yeah. Proust, uh, all our research to Tom Perdue in search of lost time, uh, mistranslated as remembrance of things past uh, is yeah deals very much with memory especially the first ones yeah. one's way and a lot of it is uh sort of these half remembered little snippets told a little bit out of order from his young childhood and uh you know here's one snippet where he went on a walk and just had these very vivid memories of the walk and here's one where he he needed a hug from his mom before he went <laughs> to sleep and there's this whole drama about how he really really needs a hug from his mom and uh but it doesn't it, – it's not told in a chronological sort of way. It's told in that dream logic sort of way. That's, you know, Proust's brilliance. Uh, and as such, he's creating these really uh, solid, uh, recognizable emotional states rather than telling a straightforward story. Mm. I felt that way when I was watching Bacchano. I was really, <laughs> off, like, always off balance because I was only getting – bits of information that weren't connecting. And yet I was enjoying like the little nuggets that were being thrown at me. Yeah. And it like, maybe by there's 16 episodes and by episode four, I kind of realized I was never going to be able to put things together. Yeah. Like I just didn't, didn't have the time or, or like the notebook. I couldn't take his <laughs> notes quickly enough to connect like these you know, 35 main characters. Yeah. So I was, I entered this weird state of just letting it wash over me. Yeah. Enjoying the tone of this weird sort of crazy steampunk adventure with occasional bouts of extreme violence mm-hmm. and some comic relief characters and finding out the connections between the characters just fell away almost immediately. I, I, so I couldn't tell you who the characters were in relation to one another. Mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying the this weird vomit of storytelling. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how the series is mm. meant to be sort of appreciated as this sort of rich tapestry, but all the threads got intermingled and you don't know what's going where all the time. And if you watch the whole thing, especially if you binge it, Hmm. um, you will get the gist of it. And if you watch it a second time, which I did for this, I was able to follow it more clearly, but it's still a big jumble. 
And on some level, that's fun. Your mind is designed to put pieces of puzzles together and mm. to make connections between things. And uh, you really, really want to do that. And sometimes when that doesn't come together, it's really frustrating. The I think the biggest problem with the series, at least at the beginning, I think it has a problem at the end too, mm. but we'll get to that. Um, this is one of those shows where it's so excited to start telling you the story that it kind of forgets to tell you why you should care for a while. Yeah. Like there's not, a, aside from Isaac and Miria, who are just these, they're really, really fun, exuberant thieves who like to play dress up and pull heists that for the most part no one will ever be that mad about them like they steal they steal a bunch of candy bars or they, <laughs> or they, which, which is in the the title sequence yes but later on they do reference it that is a real heist that happened in the canon of the mm. show uh at one point we cut to them at like a different year and they've gone to california to be part of the gold rush that's right <laughs> and they're stealing gold from the earth this is how they're framing it in their heads this is their latest heist one time they tried to rob a museum, and then they realized that that's hard. So they steal the door to the museum, <laughs> making it harder for other people to get in. <laughs> Which is... A, yeah. They're that kind of just this really light, jovial, silly characters, and they will... Rosencrantz and Guildenstern their way through this whole thing before we realize what, if any, role they have to play in anything other than just being funny and occasionally, like, lifting the spirits of people who are very depressed because horrible things are happening constantly on this show. Incredibly horrible. Like, uh, yeah. because some characters cannot die, they're very cavalier about their own safety. Yeah. So they will just murder with impunity. Some people are murdered and... Like their heads are cut off, mm -hmm. but because they have the immortality elixir, their bodies sort of like suck back together again. I, imagine the T one thousand, like if you exploded it and all of like mm -hmm. the little pools of liquid metal start moving together. Except instead of being liquid metal, that's chunky human flesh. Yeah, it's, it's just bone and viscera just it, kind of slurping back together. Again. It'd be really amazing to see this movie done as like a nineteen eighties like kind of horror and action use hybrid. All these practical effects that'd be awesome. It'd be super cool, mm -hmm. but like it'd be really gross and dark. And uh, one of the one of the immortal characters, although they're hundreds of years old, uh, has the appearance of like a twelve year old boy. Yeah, because when he drank this elixir, he was twelve, and now he's mm. stuck at that age forever. His name so, is Cheslaw Meyer, and Cheslaw Meyer uh, has some really really horrible things done to him. It it, it almost feels like HBO. Where you watch an well, you know when you watch an HBO show and they're they're throwing they're throwing in like you know fucks and dicks everywhere just because they know they can get away with it. It's yes. like they're not really necessary. It's actually kind of lurid and dumb the way they do it a lot often, of the time. Often, yes, uh, agreed. I feel like they were they did a lot of violence to a twelve year old boy just because they knew it was particularly shocking. Yeah, and because it's anime, it's, no one's and, actually yeah, and getting because, hurt. Yeah, because it's and, an yeah. animated character. It's like yeah, we can just murder a twelve year old repeatedly. Yeah. And have that be just a regular story beat. Yeah, Cheslaw Meyer is actually an interesting character because he he doesn't have a lot to do with the main plot. But what we learn about him is that he and I don't know if it was his father or his guardian, uh, but he and his guardian, I guess, mm. took the, the potion at the same time. Mm. And we'll talk about the flashback episode where they explain it all because I actually think it's a cool episode. Mm. Um, but they took it at the same time and... His guardian was like a scientist or an alchemist, and he wanted to test the limits of their mortality. And Cheslaw ex like explains, and eventually they show flashbacks of all of the gruesome, horrifying tortures and deaths that were basically performed upon him as experiments. Mm. The only way to kill an immortal in this series is uh, immortals can kill each other. 
by basically putting their right hand on each other and consuming them by sucking their whole body and their memories into their body, which is also gross. It's it's like a gory version of of Highlander. Yeah. Because in in Highlander, if you're not familiar with it, that's about a, a race of immortals living on Earth who can only kill each other by severing each other's heads. Yes. And when they do that, they, like, suck up all their life energy. Yeah, but that's, like, an animated energy effect. This is actually physically sucking them into your body, and then you have all of their memories and their knowledge, and Jesla Meyer just suddenly realized that he's being abused, and he puts his hand on his guardian's head and sucks him in, and that's when he realized this was never about science. He was a sadist. Mm. And now he's been living for, like, a couple hundred years now, Immortal, but constantly traumatized and absolutely Mm. afraid to communicate with anybody, form any meaningful connections with anybody. And even though he feels like he's been through it all, he's terrified that there's some other kind of torture an immortal can endure that he hasn't had yet. Mm. It's an interesting character because it establishes that for an immortal, there are still stakes. Not just because immortals can kill other immortals, but because suffering is real. Yeah, And I think that's important, although we don't find that out until... Much, much later. Um, okay, I'm trying to think. I'm, we're going to leave the flying pussyfoot for last. The main thing is uh, uh, at the first year of our main storyline mm-hmm. is we're introduced to two rival gangs. Uh, there's the Gandors, uh, mm-hmm. which are, and these are all 1930s Prohibition era uh, gangsters. And then there are the Genoards. Uh, the Genoards and the Gandors have a feud. They don't like each other very much. And in the midst of all of that, Dallas Genoard, the son of the Genoard family, who is a fucking asshole. Uh, he, <laughs> Which one was Dallas? He's the one who was missing for a lot of it, and his sister was looking for him. And then oh, it and, turns and, out and he, he's, he got, he's the one who got all bloody, right? Oh, yeah. He got, he, he had, he got oh, okay, real, yeah. real bad things happened to him, but well-deserved, one could argue. Um, I will turn off the air conditioning in a second. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, but uh, yeah, he uh, wound up finding just in the street an old man and decided, hey, let's beat up this old man. What he did not realize is that that old man was trying to recreate the immortality serum for one of the alchemists who discovered it in the first place, a man named, I love the names in this series, Zillard Quates. <laughs> I love that name. You're right, that is Dickensian. Yeah. That's such an amazing name. But uh, he's created an imperfect version of the formula, which gives you all the immortality, but doesn't stop your aging. So you will eventually die of old age, but until then, you can't get shot, stabbed, Mm. strangled, any of that. Uh, He ends up beating the guy up, stealing all the bottles, and now Zillard Quates is after Dallas Genoard. Meanwhile, like two years later, his sister is looking for Dallas Genoard because Dallas Genoard is missing. So we know things won't go well. Um, the long and short of this whole main sequence is that we meet these two, uh, crime families. We get to know a lot of the characters and then we find out some of those characters were actually immortals and they've been there for the longest time. And Zillard Quates is trying to get his, uh, magic elixir back. Mm. And what he doesn't realize is that after going through all of these efforts and sucking up people into his body mm. and killing and murdering and creating like golems out of his own flesh there's like a female version of Zillard Quates who one of the gangsters falls in love with um it all boils down to uh they finally perfected the right formula 
and the gangsters didn't know it wasn't just normal booze, and they drank it all. <laughs> so now there's these like there's like two dozen prohibition era gangsters who are completely immortal, along with and this is a twist that shows up at the end of the series, and I love how they handle it. Uh, Isaac and Miria, who also had no idea that it was immortality juice. No one ever explained it to them. Mm. So the best part in the entire series is an episode like 13, where it cuts to the year 2001, where Isaac and Miria, who have not aged a day, are still performing like petty heists. Like they just stole a bunch of cell phones. And they're talking about how, yes, we've stolen these cell phones and we have done a good deed because cell phone technology is preventing kids from talking to their parents more. And we are saving the family. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Miria? Have we ever aged? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> took him 70 years to figure it out. I love them so much! Oh my god. Uh, now, uh, are they characters that we could have a whole series about? Or do they only work because they're part of this gigantic, complicated, gangster net of story? I think they need to be a counterpoint to something that is taken really seriously. Yeah. It, they, they could be the protagonist, but they would always need to be... It's like Jack Sparrow. Jack okay. Sparrow is a great character as a supporting character to Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. You give him his own movie, the thing starts becoming kind of boring because he doesn't take things seriously and therefore why should we as an audience? He's a no. fun counterpoint to take the curse off of something that otherwise might be deadly serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're also my favorite part of the show. Uh, just because you always know where they're coming from. Uh, the story in this thing is so dang complicated that it's... Difficult to know, like, who's double-crossing whom at any given moment. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I couldn't really discern the connections between the characters after a while. Yeah. Oh, it's like, wait, why, why are they killing them? Oh, wait. Oh, <laughs> well, they're, okay, there, there are two, there's two gangster tribes, okay, and there's the thieves, mm. and... Wait, who's that kid? Okay, did the, yeah. Did the credits help? Because the credits the always credits begin listed, by showing yeah. you all the characters, all the I prominent was, uh, characters in the series. I, I was careful to watch it every every episode. <laughs> I didn't fast forward through the opening credits because, yeah, they, they listed all of the major players. It gave me their names, mm-hmm. but it still didn't like illustrate who they were or what their relationships were. Uh, ironically, I, after having seen the series and I watched the opening credits again, I mm-hmm. realized just how much those opening credits are actually pretty well crafted to reveal things about the characters that you just don't know they're being revealed yet. Okay. Like there's a character who isn't listed in the credits, who is actually like a serial killer who we meet later on, on the train. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you realize like after you're finally introduced this character, I understand their significance that they were in the credits the entire time, but in a very small, like one shot Mm. that felt like it was really incidental. And then you realize, Oh no, they were actually played completely fair the entire time. That's kind of (laughs) cool. Um, the flashback episode, we find out uh, how everyone got immortal. This shows up about halfway through the series. It's the only one that doesn't time hop very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a whole bunch of alchemists who are on a train, uh, not a train, uh, on a boat, mm-hmm. on a vessel. Yeah. In like the 1700s. And they decide that they've been trying to find an elixir that would cure all illness, aging, and death. And having given up on science, they decide to summon a demon, which works. And the demon shows up, and he's just... And I love the, the line the demon says, Ashley, where they're, like, they're enchanting... They're, they're, like, doing an incantation and talking, like, Oh, demon, we summoned thee. And the demon's just like, I got it, I got it. I, all, the, all the incantations are just... They're just a list of complaints, basically. Like, once you start... <laughs> once you ask me to come in, I can hear you. I just... Mm. 
I just want the, the incantation to stop, please. And so he gives them... It, it's actually like a cool, almost a horror episode because they get the horror elixir, but there mm. are rules, and the rules the rules tear them most of them apart. Yeah. Uh, he says, okay, here's the immortality elixir. I'm only giving the actual uh, a formula for the elixir to one of you. Now, everyone else... You get to be immortal, and if he wants to tell you, he can. But if he doesn't, you're not going to know, and he can't make more immortals. Sorry about that. Uh, the other rules are you can eat each other. That's right. Oh, God. You can also pass your memories and uh, knowledge to one another if you really want to. And also, and this is something that I think is actually kind of a fun uh, uh, gimmick, is uh, you're never allowed to lie about your name. Uh, yeah, which I didn't quite understand. The idea and... behind that is um, the immortals cannot hide from one another. Okay. You can't, it's... like, pretend you're someone else, can't <sighs> give yourself another name. So, like, you're never, like, safe from mm. one another. You're the only people who can hurt each other, and you can never hide from one another. Why is it being immortal always comes with so many rules? Because that's the... Mm. If if you go deep into the Highlander stuff, there's so, so many, many rules. rules. Yeah. And they, all these... And there's the source and the gift mm. and all these prizes you get for killing other immortals, et cetera, et cetera. You get one wish, yeah. maybe. Or maybe you just get to be connected to all things. It's Except, a little no, unclear. it's a wish in the no, second it's, one. No, it's one wish. It's, yeah, yeah, you, and you, you get can, a wish. You can bring Sean Connery back. Or... Uh, if you know, if like you're a vampire, okay, you can live forever, but you have to kill people to survive, and you can't ever see sunlight. It's like, well, can you just be immortal and that's that? I love that. I've seen stories like that. There was a great uh, story in Neil Gaiman's Sandman like that, right. um, where someone was like hundreds and hundreds of years ago was saying, um, you know, was saying in a bar, uh-huh. death is for suckers. Who would die? That's a terrible. <laughs> that's a terrible deal. Why did we agree to this? I'm just not gonna die. Mm. And Sandman, you know, Dream, and Death, the personification of Death, mm. happened to be there, and they were just like, okay, we can take you up on that. And so every 100 years, they would like meet up with this guy, and every mm. 100 years, he's just like 100 years. He's like, this is great. I'm as happy as I've ever been. I've got a big family. Mm. I've made a lot of money. 100 years go by. Everything is horrible. Everyone I ever knew is dead. I'm completely destitute and leading trash off of the out of trash cans. <laughs> Everything is miserable. 100 years later, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like that story because I feel much like you're saying here, a lot of our stories about immortality come with these very particular caveats specifically because we as human beings are mortal mm. and i feel like if we make immortality sound too good we'll start to resent the idea of our own actual mortality so we always tend to turn them into some kind of cautionary tale yeah. you can be immortal yeah. but oh no everyone you love is gonna die to which i would say aren't they gonna do that anyway Yes. Well, well, also, well also, wouldn't, wouldn't could, I live long enough that the mourning process would eventually, like, you know, allow me to move on and have a life like I would if they had died at any other time of my life? Mm. Well, technically, yes. Okay, then what's the deal? <laughs> like, I don't know. Immortality always sounded pretty good to me. It's mm. just, you're right. It's all of these bullshit rules. Like, you can never go out in the sunlight mm. and you have to drink human blood or whatever. They are kind of arbitrary. It's never just wish fulfillment. Then here, you know, it's a, it's a plot. It's a story. We want oh. these people to be intimidated and threatened and stuff. So, 
Well, the the cautionary tale here is uh, <coughs> if me. if you achieve immortality, apart from you know the, the the fighting thieves, if you achieve immortality, it will essentially just drain you of your morals. Uh, For the most part, if, yeah. If you don't care about your life anymore, life has no value, and you mm-hmm. can just sort of murder with impunity, and you don't ever fear retribution. Nobody can get you. Yeah. So even if they catch you, they kill you, and that's it. You're just back again. And yet, ironically, in the last three episodes of the series, we run into a character who, in this big flashback episode that we were talking about, where mm-hmm. all the immortals started turning on each other and eating each other, and only some of them got off the boat, and... Half of the formula ended up with Zillard Quates after he ate somebody, and half of them ended up with um, an alchemist named Miza, who is in the 30s working mm-hmm. as um, basically he's the Robert Duvall and the Godfather to this Italian crime family. Mm. Um, but uh, there's one character who's just super cool. He's just super chill, and all he wants people to do is like, hey, it's going to turn out okay. Put a smile on our faces, everybody. Come on, we're immortal. Yay! And um, we find out later on that that character turned out fine. (laughs) That character didn't kill anybody. That character was just going around, making people happy, you know, just being zen and cool. And I think when you look at that character and you look at... Isaac and Maria, you see that I think the moral compass of the show mm-hmm. is regardless of whether you are breaking the laws of science, nature, man, whatever. Mm. Um, if you're a decent person and you actually are trying to live decently and be kind to people, that's what will end up making you happy. And that's what will end up not making these this horrible oh, yeah. ripple effect throughout history where people keep hurting each other. And if we all stopped doing Fair. that, yeah, everything okay. would probably be fine. So I actually find there's a weird moral code kind of hidden in here a little bit. Um, let's see, we've handled... Okay, so that's the uh, that's the Alchemist flashback. That's the prelude to the Flying Pussyfoot. And now, uh, and then there's an epilogue to the Flying Pussyfoot, which takes three episodes and feels like a total waste of time. And then they have a monologue yeah. about how this wasn't a waste of time, we swear. And, and there, there's where they're evoking uh, Lawrence Stern. You ever mm-hmm. see Comfortable no. Story, the movie, or, or read Tristram Shandy? No, no, you've, you've, ta- you've spoken I've, about I've, it I've times. talked about it before. Just yeah. to, It's it's a, a book from the 18th century by a, an author named Lawrence Stern, and the joke of the book, it's like this weird postmodern thing, before modern, mm-hmm. like pre-postmodern, and uh, the, whole, the whole joke of the book is that it's supposed to be a biography. A character is telling his own story, but he gets so distracted with all of these asides and talking about other people that he doesn't get to his birth until the end of the book. Right. Like it, the, the whole thing is just this big uh, aside. And at the very end, there's a conversation. Somebody says, what was this book about? And somebody says, a cock and a bull. And that's where we get the term, a cock and bull story. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking with this last bit. It's like, yeah. what, what was going on here? Well... Nothing. It was all just this big mess. Well, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say nothing, but the idea is... So the, the series... And, and apparently this is what happened. They they planned for like a 13-episode first season slash series. Yeah. And then they had the means to continue on for like another three episodes, so they did. Mm. And the, the, the manga or the light novels kept going, so there was more material to get to. But it feels like everything wraps up really tidily at the end of episode 13. Yeah. But we still keep going and there's a couple of epilogues and then those epilogues don't even really wrap up entirely. And then we get the series ends. I want the whole blind pussyfoot is its own whole thing. We'll talk about that last. The series ends with the chairman and his apprentice at the end coming back in from the first episode talking about like, what have we learned today? Mm. And 
she's complaining that there's no ending to this story, and the chairman is trying to explain that stories have no endings. Everything is just history moving forward and revealing things about the past. It's all ripples. Mm. There is no end of a story because the story will always continue in some fashion. And when she says, well, why is, why is that? And he's like, well, what do you think? And she, who's like, you know, a, a young girl says shameless plug for a second season. <laughs> and she literally says like shameless, like, like it's an attempt to get people excited so that you can tell more of the story later. And the chairman's just like, eh, no, that's not what we're getting at. Kind of. He does give her like some points for that. Mm. Like, but no, no, what we're getting at is, if there's no end to these characters, then you can imagine what happened to them afterwards. And that's kind of a sweet idea. I wish we didn't need three filler episodes to get to it. Uh, the Flying Pussyfoot is, could have been its own thing. Just its own movie, yeah. its own story. Well, any, any one of these characters could have carried a series. Pretty much, by yeah. and And sure, set them all in the, the Bacchano universe. Yeah. Just have them all interact and have cameos from other characters. The way it is, I, it's too much. It's a lot. It's just too much. It's a lot. Uh, yeah. I, I, like, I, if I were like adapting this for America, I would cut it way the fuck back. Yeah, like, like if, yeah, if we don't need at least a third of these people, I, I can appreciate that they are going for this huge narrative ambition, and um, this is uh, something that's like young fantasy writers fall into because I've talked to a lot of young fantasy writers, yeah. and they all make sort of similar mistakes in that. They be, they become too cluttered with mythology mm-hmm. and characters and don't really focus on the story or the theme or the tone. They want to put everything yeah. in. It's all it's about at once. they're uh, so proud of themselves yeah. for coming up with all the cool stuff that they don't want to hold anything yeah. back. And I get yeah. it. A friend of mine, uh, he he was putting together this epic comic series that he called the House of Constantine. Okay. This is off topic, and this is something that never got published. And he spent years working on this thing, coming up with the characters and coming up with really elaborate backstories. He made trading cards and blueprints of the houses where they lived. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the wars and the various outcomes of all these wars. You know what he never made was the fucking comic. Yeah. He never actually made the thing. Well, the makers of Bacchino so, did make Bacchino, so That's true. They, they finally made it, but it you can tell that they spent, like, two years making the animated series or making the manga but maybe a decade coming up with all of the backstory. So it might have been clear to them. This is something, though, that we see this in other art forms and we don't complain as much. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't War and Peace have hundreds of characters, like, literally? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's, but it's literature. It's dense and we're supposed to really just immerse yeah. ourselves yeah. in it. And why is literature allowed to do that but not mm-hmm. TV? Well, it's a different medium, isn't it? Like TV well, yeah, is, obviously. TV but what's can, the difference? What's what's what makes di- literature okay and not TV? The difference is time. Okay. You can take your time with literature. You can't with TV. TV's coming at you at its own pace. Okay. That, I didn't yeah, say there wasn't an yeah, answer. Okay. I wanted to. Right. I wanted to talk about the answer because, yeah, okay. generally speaking, I agree. I think there are some if, TV if shows. If this had been like all of those dense things in an eight hundred page novel, that would have been great. I do think I have seen. Shows, movies, etc., that have pulled this off. I think The Wire uh, oh, yeah. is a TV show that is incredibly dense. It is filled with characters and themes and tones and mm-hmm. uh, storylines that are like really, really tightly woven together. And I remember when I first watched The Wire, it took me like five or six episodes just to figure out who everyone was and why they were important. There was just mm-hmm. too many characters for me. Yeah. But once I knew them, I realized that literally all of them are important. And the show ended up 
making me feel that way. I think it's one of the reasons why I would still argue that The Wire is one of the two or three best TV shows ever made, maybe even number one. Um, And it's because they're telling this rich, dense narrative, and it never feels like Bacchino where there are characters who are here just because they're here, or just because we thought they were cool. There's always a function, there's always something that having this character in the narrative allows us to explore that none of the other characters do. Um, So, Back to Bacchino. Uh The Flying Pussyfoot is a train that is going across America. It's this big fancy gold behemoth. And uh, all of the characters, not all of them, a significant number of the characters have found their way onto the train for one reason or another. Isaac and Miri have just pulled a, a, a big heist. Mm. Chesla Meyer is actually traveling to New York to kill one of the other immortals because he's afraid he's going to get killed in return. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Here is where we meet the two of my other favorite characters, Niece Hollystone and Jacuzzi Splot. <laughs> Amazing names! Jacuzzi Splot. What a great fucking name. Uh, uh, Jacuzzi Splot is a young uh, uh, bootlegger who cries all the time. Yeah, he's really a nervous character. He's a very nervous character, mm-hmm. and he he cries because he really, really cares about everything. But also, if you fuck with him, he will shoot you. <laughs> and we don't see that for a long time. We're just many episodes of Jacuzzi Splot and Nice, who is a, a, an explosives enthusiast who is covered in scars and has a, a mm-hmm. an eye patch. Uh, we spend several episodes with them and their small crew of, of hoodlums. Without really knowing who they are or why. And he just seems like the most cowardly character in anything. Mm-hmm. And then when a serial killer strikes the train. And then another serial killer strikes the train. Completely oh, unrelated. Uh, he really steps up. And it's a really fun character. Because he starts in such a totally different position. Mm. Than where we see him end up. And that's a really fun arc to have. Entirely set on this train. So mm-hmm. um, all these characters have converged. There is a serial killer hitman named Lad Russo. Lad Russo is just an a cackling Batman villain of a yeah, guy who yeah. has assembled his own crew of other serial killers and his own gang. You're, you're reminding me of like all these details yeah. that have just sort of vanished from my head. Okay. And they all wear bright white suits so that they can see the blood when it splatters on mm-hmm. them, which will of course happen throughout the series. Uh, he also has his own gangster's mall named Lua. And Lua, and it's for a while it's hard to tell if she's actually into him or if she's just a kidnapping victim or maybe both. Mm. Um, but uh, he's in love with her, but he is going to kill her. But not yet. Mm. He just tells her, like, no one's going to kill you but me. Nothing bad can happen to you because no one's going to kill you but me. And this will pay off later when another guy is trying to get one over on Lad and threatens to kill Lua first. And he's like, oh, fuck you. No. <laughs> no! What a weird psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he's on the train. They are going to kill half the people on the train. And uh, the other people... There's another uh, a group that's going to kill half the people on the train because they're trying to get one over on like a crime boss who is also immortal... And they're going to kidnap his daughter or whatever. It gets really convoluted. The important thing is, Lad Russo is a homicidal maniac with a team of homicidal maniacs killing everyone on the train. There's a whole bunch of gangsters who are perfectly happy to kill everybody on the train. Also, there is a serial killer monster called the Rail Tracer that is on the train. And 
Jacuzzi Splot hears from Isaac this like campfire story about a monster that travels on trains. And once you've heard the story on a train, the rail tracer is definitely coming, so you'd better run. And Jacuzzi takes him way too seriously and runs to the front of the, to the train in a mad panic to try to warn the conductor. And the conductor has just been brutally murdered. And then we find out that there is a rail tracer. <laughs> God. <laughs> so the rail tracer is wandering around killing everybody. Tesla Meyer is on the train. He's trying to manipulate people into killing each other for him. Um, and uh, it turns out that one of the conductors is actually another serial killer slash hitman for a different uh, wait, wait, gang. I, you, I think you just lost me because I don't remember this. Okay. <laughs> the rail tracer, who we see in like shadows with like glowing eyes and stuff, turns out it wasn't a monster, it was a guy. And the guy is was one of the railway conductors. He was the guy we saw like in a very short shot in the opening credits. Didn't get his own title card, hmm. but you realize he was there the whole time. Uh, and he was a member of, I think, the Gandor family. And he was, took a job on a railway so he could travel around the country, killing with impunity. Uh-huh. And when he heard this kid talk about the rail tracer, he decided to just, oh, Okay, I'll become this urban legend today. That will be fun. <laughs> he decides to just kill everybody, and uh, that interferes with Lad Russo killing everybody. And so they try to kill each other, and Jacuzzi Splot gets in the middle of it. And then there's another daughter of one of the immortals who gets involved in that. And then there's a reporter from the Daily Days who gets involved in that. And Chesla Meyer dies a couple of times. And <laughs> and, uh, and and when all is said and done, it's Isaac and Miria who save the day a couple of times, not because they're involved in the plot, but just because they're nice and try to inspire people to be their best selves. It's so good. <laughs> it's crazy and it's chaotic, but that one's great. The reason why I like that sequence the best is because it's crazy and chaotic in that way that like the Coen brothers blood simple is in that it's a bunch of interconnected. If you've never seen it, it's their first film. It's a film noir. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dan Hedaya stars as the owner of like a shitty bar in the middle of nowhere, whose wife is sleeping with one of his employees mm. and he hires, um, Emmett Walsh. Right. To besuited assassin. Yeah. He's wearing like, you know, big, cowboy hat and stuff and he hires them to prove that they're having an affair and when that's done he says okay I want to give you some money I want you to kill him mm. and rather than kill them he decides to kill Dan Hidea problem is nobody knows what anyone else is doing mm. in this thing so the boyfriend who Francis McDormand has been sleeping around with comes in sees Dan Hidea dead and assumes Francis McDormand did it so he's trying to hide the body and now all of a sudden Emmett Walsh doesn't know what happened to the body and now Frances McDormand thinks that her boyfriend killed her husband, even though he didn't. And he's talking in these weird riddles because he thinks he just covered up a murder for her. And it's dizzying, but you can really feel the tension because nobody actually knows what's really going on except yeah. the audience. The whole sequence in The Flying Pussyfoot in Bacchanal, when it plays like that, is actually really exhilarating and fun, even though it is really hard to keep up with. Yeah really genuinely hard to keep up with <laughs> holy shit uh and i'm not sure and that's that's sort of the rise on detra of the series isn't mm-hmm. it is to make it really hard to keep up with and yeah. have you sprint alongside with it so i'm not sure there is a streamlined version of this 
You could I take think, one bit and then just cut out all the flash forwards and flashbacks, but maybe, even then yeah. you're going to be really lost. Well, and and yeah, if you tell it in chronological order, that's not as satisfying a story because you you have to be breathlessly catching up at all times. Yeah. Um, if you if you know this, everything this is, that happened the before the form that it meant to be in is my point. And yet even this feels kind of clunky and cluttered. Mm. And then after episode 13 when the flying pussyfoot gets where it's going, everyone's either alive or dead or has come to a big realization about who they are. We still need to keep going for a bit and it turns out the rail tracer fell in love with someone on the train and oh, now God. I'm supposed to care that he's dating her. He's a monster. <laughs> like he's a really <laughs> bad person. Yeah. Like I really I can't get super invested in him sending her gifts and like asking for dating advice. Like mm. I, I'm not on board with it. You, you kind of lost me. You haven't done the work. And then they introduce a new villain who's like a mechanic with a giant lug wrench, who was like Lad Russo's only real friend. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And he's an intimidating <laughs> right. villain, oh, I guess. Oh, my but gosh. like, okay, yeah. he just sort of pops in. I'm like, why aren't you wrapping this up? Why are you introducing a new character right now? For the love of God, help! Mm-hmm. Help! Bakano's still going. Help! I did kind of like it though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it, it. It's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable experience, even yeah. if uh, you're lost. Yeah. It, it's an interesting setting. It has a lot of really strange characters, and because it's moving so fast, it has to be energetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you drop a thread, you might get it later, but probably not. Yeah. If you like a complicated narrative, this is as complicated as they come. Yeah. No, I think it's, there's I, not like a central story. Like not a good, not a, not like a clean through line anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like there's there's not one central story, and as you pointed out, there's not one protagonist. It's an ensemble, so there doesn't yeah. need to be a central protagonist. That's no. fine. In fact, the idea was uh, I was reading up on it a little bit. The mm-hmm. author said that uh, the character of Firo, who is this young gangster who is being like becoming like a made man at the beginning yeah, yeah. chronologically of the story, uh, and then he becomes immortal. And he's the character who the apprentice uh, says, um, you know, he's, he looks like a hero. He should be the protagonist. Uh-huh. He was intended to be the protagonist. And then it turned out that he was just wasn't the most interesting character. And <laughs> apparently the whole structure of the story is they came up with all the characters and then they just sort of let them run. Yeah. And some of them ran away with the plot. Some of them were not doing interesting things and it was hard to keep them involved in the storyline. And it really does play like that. And I think they wrote into the narrative enough meta text about how complicated life is and how ripple mm. effects, blah, 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 that they get away with that. But it does come across as a bit of a jumble. Well, it, it's, it's a jumble. And if they, just cause they comment on the fact that it is a jumble, doesn't make it any more, uh, clear or it doesn't clean, clear up the writing at all. Right. They, they're just sort of, commenting on the fact that they wrote themselves kind of into every corner at the same time. There's a, there's a, we call in the uh, writing industry, we call this lampshading. It's mm. uh, where you just, you hang a lampshade on it. It's yeah, like, you, you know, it's a mistake. Yeah. So you just call attention to that mistake. Yeah. Like we know, yeah. we know, but we're just doing it. So kind mm. of some, my favorite version of that, because it's like totally just throwing up your hands. I give up mm. is Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> where about halfway through the movie this is an awful movie I like this movie a lot so of, much a lot of people like it and and I can see why but it is awful I like it for the reasons you think it's awful All right. okay. we can talk about that another time but there's a scene like halfway through the movie and you know Gary Oldman's I'd say Gary Oldman's a great Dracula can we agree on that uh, sure okay. uh, I can't tell <laughs> because everybody's overacting in that movie that's the point <laughs> anyway 
Uh, it's it's Grand Guignol. Enjoy. Uh, grand, um, grand stupid. Well, grand, le Grand Stupide. Fair enough. I, <laughs> that can be fun too. But uh, halfway through the film, and you, they really didn't have to do this. It feels like there was like a continuity error, and they just ran with it. Hmm. Dracula is out in the middle of the day. Mm. It feels like they shot the scene and were like, whoops. And now we have to find a way to make it work because it's important because it's the first time he meets uh, Winona Ryder. Mm. And like, so what they do is they give a voiceover to Anthony Hopkins. And he says who's something. Van Helsing. Who's Van Helsing in it. And he's he's really funny as Van Helsing. I like, I like funny Van Helsing more than I like serious Van Helsing. But um, he says, uh, not everyone knows this, but... Vampires can go out during the day. They're just not as powerful as normal. Oh and like, fuck you. Come on. I don't care if that's in the book. We're past that now. Just film it at night. <laughs> just film it at night. There's no reason for this scene to take place during the day. Drac- Dracula, it's arbitrary. Dracula could walk around in the daylight. I know he could, yeah. but we're, we're, it's just, it's weird when you just sort of, they have to hang a lampshade on it. Mm. They have to explain it because everyone in the audience knows the vampires, the most common vampire myth now mm. is they can't go out during the day. So right. even though in Dracula they could, they have to hang a lampshade on it. <laughs> okay. They have to point out that because otherwise people are going to be like, why is Dracula out during the day? They mm. have to explain it. Yeah. And so they explain it and their explanation is, eh, vampires can do that. <laughs> Not everyone knows that. Uh. Fuck, no, we need more than that. That doesn't get the job done. So when you... Sometimes when you hang a lampshade on something, you are taking the curse off of it and just like saying, Haha, we know, but seriously, we're going to do this plot line. And sometimes you're just pointing out that the lamp doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's, it's, why, are you, why did you put like this really gaudy, terrible looking lampshade on this lamp? Well, the lampshade, the lamp didn't work very well, so I thought I'd just make it look bad too. Oh. <laughs> and, not, sure what your, not sure what your methodology yeah. was. Not sure if that was a smart play or not, but okay. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm reminded of Once Upon a Deadpool. Oh, I barely, saw, I didn't uh, see that. Yeah, I, the, I, it yeah. was the the PG, the Disney friendly PG thirteen version of Deadpool. I guess which we wanted. I, I'm thinking it was a test by Disney to see if they could get away with making that character a little cleaner. Well, it was Disney didn't own him yet, though. Not not yet, but it was like I think it was the sale. Had gone through, but mm. Disney didn't officially own Fox yet. Mm. So I think, the, yeah, it was, it was this weird sort of like total maybe, experiment. Maybe Ryan Reynolds was just like, if we do this, maybe Disney will be more inclined yeah, to, to keep To make around. another Deadpool yeah. movie. Um, but one of the big uh, complaints about that movie that critics and fans made was that they, uh, the character, the Marina Baccarin character... Mm-hmm. Uh, was killed earlier in that movie. Yeah, it sucks. A- as a motivator for uh, Deadpool, and that's known as fridging. Mm-hmm. In, uh, it's when you, it's when a, it's when a character, when a, usually when a female a character, only is, exists to die, and it's very insulting. Only to die in order to give the male protagonist yeah. something to do. And, yeah, their uh, life meant nothing. Their death was really important, mm-hmm. and boy, is that degrading. And they point that out in Once Upon a Deadpool. Yeah. Like, there's some new seg- segments where Fred Savage, playing himself, don't ask, uh, explains, <laughs> wait a minute, that's that's called fridging. You fridged Vanessa, that character. Yeah, great character and, from the and, first movie. Yeah. And Deadpool says, what does that mean? And they have to explain what fridging means to the audience. And it's like, oh, well, yep, that's what we did. Well, that just because you think you explain it, that makes it better? Sure. Like, <laughs> like they're, And then they're putting a lampshade on another lampshade. And it's, yeah... yeah. It, it's like, no, that didn't make the writing decision any better. Yeah. You think if you point out bad writing, that fixes it? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's not how no, that works. it's not. Ah. Bacchino is a series that 
I, I here's my thing about Bacchanal. Hmm. Um, if you're high and have a lot of time on your hands, <laughs> like this show is meant to be binged. You cannot watch if you watch one episode of this. There's a decent chance you won't watch anymore. Yeah, because there's just too much going on, and I think it's mm. a serious problem with the series. There isn't enough of an emotional connection to the mm. characters at the beginning that develops yeah. later, and I think that is usually, if not always, a mistake in pilot episodes. You have to get us invested on a human level, and in Bacano. The first episode is mostly about how, isn't it interesting how all this stuff is happening? And I'm like, in the abstract, but why do I care is what you're not really resolving. But if you stick around for a few episodes, that will come together. And then if you're watching them all in a big, you know, weekend or something, you'll probably be able to follow the story along way better than any other way you're doing it. I I did it in like maybe five or six sittings. So yeah, yeah, every time I sat down, it's like I have to get back into it. It was really difficult. I watched this series over the course of a weekend the first time while I was Mm. really high. Um, Oh, well, (laughs) there you go then. I watched it. I did not. That was a long time ago and I do not... Support that. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should try it, huh? Maybe you should. Um, or gin is my drug of choice, though. Or uh, caffeine. But um, but uh, watch it again. It still it still plays pretty well. Um, the last three episodes are fine, but you can totally stop at the end of episode 13, <laughs> and you won't miss anything fascinating. Yeah. You just won't. There's a mm. few things that are wrapped up, but they didn't need to be. It's very tidy yeah. otherwise. Um. But uh, and that's that. Bacchano is actually kind of hard to find right now, which is a damn shame. And I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Jason Cobley, who actually mm. loaned us his copy of Bacchano because yeah, it is you. massively out of print. It's very expensive right now. I really I've been wanting to do this one for a while, and we couldn't have done it without Jason Cobley. So thank you so much for donating your copy of Bacchano, without which we wouldn't have this episode. So. Everyone take a moment to applaud, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for confusing me and leaving me completely lost. <sighs> Someone's <laughs> got to do it. You like Tristram Shandy and this is bullshit? What do you What do you mm. want? Um, and uh, that is it for Anime Month and Three Quarters. Uh, we will be back <laughs> next time with an episode that will not take that long for mm. us to get to because we're actually doing a failed pilot. Mm. Over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, we have a variety of polls that allow you to dictate future episodes of many of our podcasts. Mm. And every month we do one episode of Cancel Too Soon as selected by our patrons. This month, all of the shows were failed. I think they were just pilots uh. Uh, based on hit Hollywood movies. So like Dark Man was on there and a couple others. And the one that won was a TV series that not everybody knows was a thing. There was a live-action sitcom pilot based on Kevin Smith's Clerks. This is not the animated series. Which we've had a lot of requests for, and we'll get to eventually. No, no, no. This is the live-action pilot that apparently nobody liked. (laughs) The animated series has some fans. That's how we got a DVD release. Mm -hmm. The live-action pilot... No such thing. We had to do some digging, but we did find it. And we will be reviewing that on the next episode of Cancel Too Soon, which is, not for nothing, our 199th episode of Cancel Too Soon. That's right. It sure is. We're coming down on episode 200. And what are we going to do for episode 200? Something special, perhaps. Yeah, we like to save like a lot of our more requested shows for the big anniversaries, your 100s, your mm. 150s, your even your 175s. And we decided that for our 200... Should we announce it now? Uh, no, next week. Next week we're going to well, announce we're, what we're, we're doing we're for our 200th. We're going to do one of the most requested shows uh, that people bring up 
all the time when we say we're doing this project. One of the shows that when we first announced we were doing this project, everyone's like, you're doing this show, right? Mm. And we were like, not yet. And we're, we're uh, saving it. Well, you know what? We've saved it long enough. So 200 episodes fin- is plenty of time. We're finally going to do it. And there's still plenty of other big mm. shows that we have specifically saved for these anniversaries. Mm. So for 225 and 250, we're still going to have some big name shows uh, that people are well familiar with and they make all of those popular lists yeah. of the most canceled too soon shows of all time. We like those shows too. We want to talk about those shows, but we want to do all the weird stuff in the middle too that nobody ever talks about. And that's why <laughs> Clerks, the live action sitcom. So that's up next week. Thank you well, everybody well, for we, listening. We, we forgot, we forgot to actually ask, was Bacchano canceled too soon? Oh, they right. I'm sorry. I thought we kind of <laughs> wrapped. It's been so long. Yeah. We kind of, kind of wrapped up before we actually got to I, that part. I'm so sorry. Uh, I apologize to everybody. Uh, Whitney was hmm. Bacchano canceled too soon. Um, hmm. it's, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure if we got more, if it would just be more chaos, or if if I spent if it would be the same characters and I'd spend more time with them and I'd get to know them better over the course of more episodes. Bear in mind there were quite a lot of manga books that were mm. not adapted that are indeed yeah. part of the original plan that are not part yeah. of the series. If it was all, if it was just the characters we got, yeah, like just those fifty or however many there were. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they added a few new ones, yeah. but yeah, it's my understanding that the, they continue. Okay. Yeah, if it was just like those core characters, then yes, it was canceled too soon. Okay. If they were continuing with that same breakneck pace, I think I got enough. Mm. I don't think barreling continuing forward with a, you know a new storyline just as confusing would have been satisfying i think this i think the story is as it is presented in the anime and i've never read the manga mm. or the light novels but i think the story as it is presented is so front-loaded mm. and feels like it comes to such an organic close mm. at the end of 13 episodes mm. that when the three episodes kept going my reaction wasn't yay i get the, the story keeps going my reaction was why are you still going i felt like yeah. ferris bueller at the end of the at the end of the credits mm. why are you still here Go home. Go home. <laughs> you you made a you made a very fun anime series. I don't need the I don't need the evil garage mechanic storyline and the serial killer dating subplot to keep going and then not resolve. Like I'm good. <laughs> so personally, I think this uh, I don't think this one was canceled too soon. I uh, I think uh, uh, honestly it might have been canceled a little too late. I think 13 episodes would have just made it really kind of perfect. Right. As what it was. But um, I do like it a lot. I do think it's worth tracking down if you can find it. Again, the DVD release, there was an official DVD release in America. It's like 150, 200 bucks. Like if you yeah, find if you it like a normal way. So if you can find well, this. And it's on the secondhand market. So. Yeah. Now, it, it, this I when I originally saw this, it was on Netflix. So maybe at some point it'll be on another streaming service. And if yeah. you see it there, I do recommend checking it out. But I don't think you're going to be. Personally, I don't think you're going to be clamoring for more. If you are clamoring uh, for more, there is manga you can find. I think if you've been listening to our description of it, then you probably already know if this is the kind of thing you'd like. Yeah. This is not something that's like, oh, that sounds vaguely interesting. No, I think you know if you're going to be into it. It's it's, it's, it's a very particular yeah, thing. It, it'll cater yeah. to a very specific taste, and I think you know if you have that taste. But I think uh, I think if you have that taste, I think you're going to dig it. This often ends up on lists of like the best anime series that people didn't watch. Okay, uh, it's my understanding that in Japan when mm. it premiered, it premiered on like a pay per view service, so just the audience was real minimal to begin with, and it just had an uphill battle from the start, mm. and that's a shame. Um, you know, not every show can be successful, even the good ones, but it does suck when they have so many strikes against them from the beginning that it's nearly impossible. 
Um, so, but I'm I'm glad we were able to rewatch it. I'm glad you dug it, and um, I hope uh, other people get to see it at some point. So, mm. thank you everybody for listening to Cancel Too Soon. Now we can end the show. Next week is Clerks. Next week, week is Clerks. Blah, 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 blah. Week after that, big, big deal. Big, big show of bigness that we're going to get to. And then after that, in October, we're going to be doing yet another horror theme month. We're going to be talking about what shows we're going to do uh, very shortly after we end recording this podcast. So it's going to be exciting. Um, and uh, bada bing, bada boom. Okay, so you can contact us. You can write us a letter. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email about this podcast or anything else you want to talk about. On our series, we've got mail right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. You can also contact us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to have even more shows, and I mean a lot more shows, mm. hosted by me and Whitney, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Mm. Over there, we have a huge back catalog at any tier that you decide to join up in. Mm. Um, at, we have... Uh, Let's see. We've got a new show where we're reviewing every single episode of Batman, the live action series from the 60s. We just did a second episode of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got all our yesterdays, our Star Trek podcast, reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. We're just wrapping up season two. two. We just finished season two. Um, although I don't think the episode is, is out yet, but it will be in the next. Oh, okay. We recorded it. We'll put it out in a day or two. Um, and, uh, also we have only the best. We're reviewing every single film ever nominated for best picture, not on Disney plus we review TV shows, movies, miniseries that should be on Disney plus, but for some reason are not. And we can't figure out why, uh, we do commentary tracks and uh, polls to decide upcoming episodes of everything that are exclusive to Patreon and a whole lot more. What was our latest commentary track? William? Our latest commentary track was star Wars, the last Jedi, which was a really great conversation. Actually, I really mm. liked how that one turned out. Yeah, I'm really happy. There, about there was it. a lot to talk about with that one. Plenty to talk about, and we got a couple of the cool projects in the pipeline. And uh, and if you sign up now, if you're new to the show, uh, there is a huge back catalog of almost all of those podcasts and a few yeah. other podcasts that we've discontinued but are still available exclusively on Patreon, like uh, the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. We reviewed uh, forgotten TV movies and miniseries mm -hmm. and uh, Out of Gas, the Firefly podcast where you did every single episode of Firefly. We, that's still available and you can totally search it out and find it on our Patreon. Uh, okay, thank you every one of our patrons without whom we couldn't be doing this. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next season.